This is Reset. I'm Sasha Ann Simons. Glad to be with you this morning. Coming up this hour, tacos, anyone? We're kicking off National Hispanic Heritage Month with some good eats that you can find at Chicago's Latin Restaurant Weeks. Plus, we talk with indie folk duo Whitney about their new album, Spark. But first, the U.S. just avoided a giant railroad strike that would have crippled the supply chain. The Biden administration has announced a tentative agreement between the federal government and the United Rail Workers Union, an umbrella group of unions representing freight rail workers across the country. Railroad workers were pushing for better pay and more humane schedules, and the agreement averts a planned nationwide strike, at least for now. But the strike would have paralyzed supply chains and made inflation worse. Even though it's been called off, some rail passengers still saw delays and cancellations. So here with the latest is Andrea Shu, a labor and workforce reporter for NPR. Andrea, welcome to Reset. Hi, thanks for having me. So it's interesting that uh, frail w- freight rail interruptions uh, affect passenger rail. Not everyone knows this, but apparently they share the same tracks. Yeah, in a lot of places they do. And actually, Chicago is one of the places that I was watching because some of your commuter rail lines are using those um, freight rail you know, tracks. And so I, I I know that they were preparing, um, you know, for a possible shutdown as early as today. Also, Amtrak had canceled all of its long-distance trains yesterday, including, you know, many of the routes out of Chicago. And, um, you know, I went on the Amtrak website yesterday morning and saw canceled, 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 canceled. Wow. They did say they were going to have all the trains running today. I haven't checked today because I'm not traveling, but um, hopefully... Uh, the trains are running and the people whose travel plans were disrupted this week are, you know, getting those getting rebooked. Yeah. So they're trying to find alternate trains then for, for canceled passengers? I think they're just trying to rebook them on the train, you know, on the regular trains that are scheduled. But I, you know, I, I can't be sure of that. I just know that yesterday they said they were going to try to get all the trains back up and running. Yeah. Well, we mentioned, Andrea, that this strike would have drastically affected supply change. Uh, what's the extent of that? Well, you think about everything that travels by freight rail. It's everything from, like, chlorine that goes to water treatment plants to coal that powers, you know, our power plants, um, keeps the lights on, to, you know, things, grocery items. I think bananas and other produce um, travels by rail. Um, so, you know, I think it depended. It was going to depend on how long, if there was a strike, how long it was. A lot of um, places, you know, will have a buffer, you know, like a power plant's not going to run out of coal overnight. But, you know, the fear was if if, uh, if there was a strike and if it dragged on for days and weeks, that you know, it could really affect the country. I think something like 40% of goods uh, are you travel by rail, by freight rail in this country. So it, yeah. you know, has significant impacts um, beyond just, you know, passengers. Mm-hmm. The passengers are really, you know, just only one part of it. Well, let's dig more into some of the reasons for this strike in the first place, Andrea. One of the reasons was uh, inhumane schedules. Can you talk to us more about that? What were the schedules like? Yeah, I mean, I I think that the the average American worker might not understand. I certainly didn't understand the kind of scheduling that especially railroad engineers and conductors have. They're basically on call most of the time, almost all of the time. So it's, and that's because freight trains don't run on a set schedule the way passenger trains do. And especially in recent years, railroads have used a new scheduling system where they are running longer trains. Um, you know, there, there might be fewer trips, but longer trains, and they wait until 
they're full to move them. And so a train conductor, engineer, those are the people who are actually driving the trains, they might get a call and they have to report to work in either 90 minutes or two hours. Mm. And and this is, you know, this is the reality of the job. It's a really, really hard job. And, you know, I think other um, rail workers as well, maintenance workers, I mean, they, they have very unusual schedules. And then in the pandemic, um, you know, some of these rail, and then before the pandemic, some of these rail carriers had introduced these very strict attendance policies. Um, and that the rail carriers said they did that because they needed consistency and reliability. They needed to have the crews present to run the trains when they needed them run so people yeah. could get their goods. But um, what that meant for the workers is that they some you know they now have this point system, and I'll just give you one example. BNSF um, they introduced this in February of this year, and and workers start out with thirty points, and if you for whatever reason uh, can't be available for a shift, then you start getting docked points, and the amount of points oh, wow. you get docked depends on what kind of day it is. So I think it was you know. Uh, you know, sort of a weekday, I think not include like Monday through Thursday. Um, it might only be two points, but on the Fridays and Saturdays, it's more points. On holidays, it's more points. On They call them high-impact days, which include holidays, but also includes like Super Bowl Sunday. It's a lot of points because a lot of people want off on those days. And so, you know, even if you were sick or you had to go, you know, you had a child who was sick or, you know, you had to go to the hospital you, if you did not have unscheduled time, if you did not have time that was already scheduled mm-hmm. to be off, like vacation time, yeah. you would get docked these points. And when you run out of points, you get a 10-day suspension. If you run out of points, multiplying it three times, you could be terminated. So this policy was brought in at BNSF this February. And you can think of, you know, think about it. This is like after two years of the pandemic. Right, People yeah. have been working really hard. So the unions hated the, these attendance policies, oh and goodness. it really became a sticking point in in the uh, contract negotiation. Yeah. Another reason, Andrea, for striking was the need for higher pay, especially with inflation. So walk us through, what did workers get in yesterday's deal? Yeah, so, right. And, and part of the reason that wages were an issue is because they hadn't had a raise Say since twenty, I'm going to say twenty nineteen. So the the um, the contract that they're negotiate that they were negotiating, they've been negotiating negotiating it for almost three years. So they hadn't seen a raise this whole time. So what they got was um, the number that we've been putting on it is twenty four percent increase over five years over a five year period. That's from twenty twenty until twenty twenty four. So 24% sounds like a lot. I mean, it's a lot, you know, it's a big increase. A lot of that will be retroactive to 2020. So if they ratify this contract, and I want to stress that members still have to vote on this, it's not a done deal. If they vote to ratify the contract, accept the contract, they will get a 14% raise immediately. And then another raise next year of, I think it's 4%, and another raise in 2024 of 4.5%. So it adds up. To 24% um, over five years. And it, it it does sound like a lot, but I will say that the unions had asked for, I think, 31% originally. That was their original ask. And this 24%, they say, you know, doesn't, as you mentioned, doesn't even keep up with inflation yeah. over the same period. That makes things tough. Another so, thing that, that wasn't negotiated, but that you have said is a problem is working conditions and safety, right? 
what improvements are needed there? Well, I think that, you know, as I mentioned, this is just a, a very tough job and it's very demanding on the workers yeah. who, um, you know, are in this field. And um, my colleague, Frank Morris, has spoken with, uh, I think it was a maintenance person, a maintenance worker, who really talked about his almost regret at this point of being away from home for some, for, you know, for such long periods of time. You know, he says he's missed birthdays and holidays and said, you know, his daughter's 11 now and may be starting to resent him because he's been gone so much. So I think that that's one of the one of the issues that um, probably won't be resolved, you know, under this, you know, even under the terms that are, you know, have been you know, tentatively agreed upon. Yeah. And, you know, in some ways, I think that some workers are going to feel like this agreement doesn't go far enough for them. They may vote no. So, so as so, I said, this is not a done deal yet. So, you know, yeah. I, I don't think um, the workers have seen the, you know, the terms of the agreement yet. It has to be presented to them. They have to have time to digest it before they vote. So we probably won't even see a vote for, you know, some weeks. Okay, so so that would be what comes next. Then we're just waiting for the opportunity to to vote. Yes, exactly. And and the union leaders, you know, there's 12 unions that this contract covers, they, you know, they, several of them were in Washington this week and they had this 20-hour marathon bargaining session that started Wednesday and ended very early yesterday, um, you know, in the wee hours of the morning. So they hadn't slept all week. And so now they've gone home. The lawyers have to go over the, you know, the agreement and, you know, all the fine print and then present it to their membership. And then the membership will have an opportunity to vote on it. Yeah. Well, what are you going to be looking out for as you continue reporting this story? Well, I'm definitely going to, you know, keep an eye on what, you know, workers are saying about this, how they feel about it. Um, and, you know, really keep an eye on, on how that, you know, how these votes go. Another thing is, you know, while this agreement was negotiated on a national level, you know, each rail carrier has its own policies, and so a lot of the details have to be hashed out at the local level. So I will also be looking at, you know, it, it sounds like the, the workers will get some kind of relief from this attendance policy, but how much relief? I'll be, you know, interested to see, you know, will they have to, um, you know, will there be a change such that they don't get docked points if they're sick? Um, if so, you know, what kind of, how do you prove that, you know, you were actually sick? You have to bring in like a doctor's note. I'll be looking at for details like that. Andrea Shu is a labor and workforce reporter for NPR. Thank you so much. Thank you for having me.